0: Host, uh, what's up, guys?
1: Long time no hangout. Yeah, it's been... We took a couple of weeks off. That's all been on me. Um, just home stuff, unfortunately. So, uh, But we are back. It is the end of September. We are entering fall and the spooky season, as they call it. So today, uh, we are going to review one of my absolute top five movies of all time uh if you love anything in this genre of action horror (laughs) sci-fi you undoubtedly have at least heard of this movie but to me this is an unheralded masterpiece of independent filmmaking i would dare say filmmaking in general Uh, we will be reviewing a cinematic masterpiece that is Ryui Kitamura's Versus. First time we're doing a Kitamura flick on here, and uh, I'm quite excited. Hell um, yeah. Yeah, but as a bonus, we're not just doing Versus. We will be adding in the, um, the short film Down to Hell, which was the prototype um, setup for this. And the best way I can explain, Arian, you're you're familiar with the lore of Evil Dead, right? Of course. So you know about the cabin in the woods that Randy and crew made as a, as the, you know, the practice run of sorts. Well, that's what Down to Hell is to Versus. In fact, at point that Versus was going to be called, uh, uh, Return to Down to Hell, (laughs) <laughs> uh and then and then that changed at the last second, according to the director. So I figured if we were gonna go in as, you know, as you know, we try to keep, you know if the movies a little more like uh stuff that you might not have heard of, but I'm I got a feeling a lot of people have heard about this, but both Ariane and I are gigantic fans of this movie. But uh, to add that flair of those who've who who do not know the lore, we're we'll start with the short film Down to Hell. Now, before uh we sat down to record this, have you ever seen Down to Hell?
0: No, this was um, I watched this for the first time back to back with verses to to get ready for this podcast. And uh Yeah, well I'll I'll save my thoughts for afterward, but I think you have a lot to say about <laughs> Down to Earth or Down to Hell.
1: down to earth yeah down to hell well down to hell is very it's a very simple film this was kitamura's i guess his first actual independent feature um not counting a student film that he did while he was um uh, living in australia going to film school down there this was him coming back to japan and making something in fact uh kitamura is one of the actors in this movie um it 's a very simplistic story it 's about a group of uh, a gang of thugs who kidnap random people and uh, each of them get a chance to pretty much kill this guy If the guy can get away, then he wins and whoever gets to kill the the uh, unforeseen victim well they uh, they are declared the winner of this game it 's essentially the the most dangerous game, but it has a supernatural twist. Um, the movie's only 40, I think 43 minutes long. Um, it's definitely a V cinema film, which, uh, does not play into the normal guidelines of, uh, of your standard movie fairs. Um, there's a ton of V cinema. That's maybe like a half hour to maybe like an hour long. It's the beauty of the Japanese is that with the home video market, they were allowed to play with a lot of stuff. And that was the, the wonder and magistry of, of their, their, their film market. So the basic story is this, this random dude, by the way, so clarity, both of these movies, none of the characters have names. It is, its primal storytelling. You're following everything based on the visuals. So when we're going to be discussing these, these films, we're going to be referring to them by their looks because they really don't have. (laughs) So it's going to be a little weird. It's going to be a little wonky, but uh, just bear with us. Um, So a random dude is walking through the streets of a a, a unnamed city in Japan. Uh, He gets uh, essentially ran over by a car that was following him, wakes up in a trunk with four dudes looking over him. They tell him, hey, you're going to be part of our game. And uh, you're out here in the woods. And they say, look, all four of us are going to hunt you. We're giving you a little bit of head start for sport. And then, uh, yeah, then it's it's survive or die. So the guy goes and runs. The gang essentially just kind of takes their time. They kind of... uh, demuse one one another and then they all take off so um i believe it's the vested guy the guy in the vest so the the hapless victim runs afoul of the the first first thug i believe he gets he gets away but it's the second guy uh that he runs into that eventually does you know he beats the he beats the holy hell out of him and then murders him and is declared the winner Except things aren't exactly as they seem. And uh, as the winner goes back to his buddies to get the dude and show that he won, uh, well, our victim's not there. And what persists over the next 25 minutes is uh, the victim is now resurrected in this forest. And he has not exactly supernatural powers, but... There is some something supernatural about him. Like his strength is increased. He's clearly bloody and messed up from the, the form he was left, you know, the, in the beating he got. And one by one, he hunts these dudes down and meticulously kills them. The first, uh, I believe, being uh, Kitamura himself, who gets um, disemboweled and hung by his own intestines which leads to the other guys running for their life we get to the the three of them get away get to the car after they realize this guy has become some unstoppable juggernaut um and uh actually no i'm i'm a little off sorry i i've been up a long time the yeah it's sorry it's been a long it's been a long week um Basically, the other dudes are pretty much hunted down one by one. With one guy left, there's a a, a vicious fight where the I believe it's the vested dude who initially killed him um, ends up fighting this guy. And it has he as he thinks he's he's won, he's killed the Uber zombie, if you will. He sees a vision of himself laying impaled on this this tree branch, which he thought he threw the guy down. So he's kind of having like a, a bit of a moment. Heads back to the car, realizes that he's not alone. All, all three of his uh, buddies are now back and they're all dead, but they're all somehow zombified. And the movie ends essentially with our victim, who is now our unwilling hero, essentially killing him. And that's it. It's a pretty cut and dry movie, but what makes this movie interesting is the fact that it is Kitamura trying out his visual style. Now, he it, this is not a this is not an expensive, you know, movie by any means. It's essentially he and his a couple of buddies of his including the man who would eventually, I'm sorry, I got his name right here. Uh uh Nobuhiku uh, Marino, who I believe is the last man standing, uh, is the man who both did the effects for the film and scored the movie. Oh, neat. And also went on to, yeah, he also went on to score essentially all of Kitamura's Japanese films up to Final Wars. Right. And, but this is the, again, going back to the parallels of Into the Woods, this is... You know, the, the crew he would eventually go on to work with for the next few years. They, you know, they essentially just were like, hey, let's go make a movie in the forest. Uh, uh It's got a visual flair. Like, you can see more trying out a lot of the stuff that he would eventually become known for. The quick camera cuts. The There's a kinetic energy to it. There's that, there's a uh, a lull in the soundtrack that just, it's a constant building dread that is very reminiscent of like early nineties Carpenter movies. You can see all of his influences. Like Kidmore has gone on about how much he loves American cinema, how much he loves, uh, George Miller, uh, also a big fan of, um, who's the master and commander guy, uh, blanking on his name right now. Russell Crowe. Not Russell, the director of uh, Ridley Scott. I'll tell you in one second. Uh, It is uh, Peter Weir. He loves Peter Weir. Um, Told this to me, and and I'm like, Peter, you love Peter Weir? He's like, I love Peter Weir. Peter Weir is one of my, he's probably like my absolute favorite filmmaker. So it goes to show you that just because you make a certain kind of movie doesn't mean you don't appreciate good cinema. Um, but this, this, this is, this is definitely like, it is all, it's not fluff and it's not filler. It's all visual. I I would say it has a lot in common, uh, with, uh, well, the, the right now, the one that probably everyone has watched is Primal, where that's a very visual show. There's little to no dialogue in it. And the aesthetics of it work on the fact that, It is building on the visual aspect of film. Um, And currently, and I recommend this to everybody to watch, uh, if you have Hulu, go watch No One Will Save You. Dude. (laughs) Did you watch that?
0: That, so, (laughs) has nobody nobody been talking about this movie?
1: I've seen people online talk about it, but I think it's something that people are slowly coming around to find out, to find it. Yeah,
0: I... uh... Yeah, that's. I got I got a list of three movies to watch. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and that's number two. Oh, I, my brother uh, and I popped it on. Have you seen on... uh, Lake Mungo?
1: Lake Mongo, no, I've not seen Lake Mongo.
0: And another movie, uh, Eden Lake with Ma, Fassbender? Eden Lake, I've heard. I have not seen.
1: Lake Mongo, I've Yeah, never those three heard are right. That, that's. Those are your top of your list right now.
0: I'll link it to you later. Yeah, I'll I'll link it to you later.
1: Yeah, but if you watch, um, I mean, very very minor spoilers for, and it doesn't ruin the. It's not. It's not. It's not telling anything about about the story of the film. But uh, no one will save you is essentially a silent movie. It's all. It's very much like Primal. There's no dialogue other than uh, vocalizations of you know. You know if you you know the trailers give away it's aliens and uh just the foley and it's all visual it's it's it is the it's it's the visual storytelling element and but it actually it's done you know who directed it the guy that um created oh. the or was in charge of the uh skull island anime that just came out oh wow yeah. So that guy's actually, and I loved I loved that Skull Island anime. I actually thoroughly enjoyed it. It was a nice little adding to the mythos. But this, but no one will save you. Fantastic. And this, it it, it was uh, ironic watching that because I'm like, this has a lot, a lot in common. But there's there's a lot more dialogue. Well, there's maybe like maybe like sixty or so lines all together in this movie because it's only forty minutes long and it's and again it's all visual but you can see Kitamura really building the kinetic style that he you know would become you know known for but this is it's experimental filmmaking at at, at its finest it's you know what young directors when they're starting and they're really playing around it's something that I don't know I, would, I mean, what do you think about this like when a director kind of burst out on the scene and it's got those praise, like guys that have like a unique style, like a Neil Blomkamp, if you will,
0: Mm.
1: (laughs) they have a look, they have an aesthetic and they're, that's both a blessing and a curse because it shows that you, you know, some of these guys can stand out on their own and you're like, okay, well maybe you can map this over to like other genres and stuff like that. But like Neil Blomkamp, Uh, Like Tarantino. Tarantino is probably a better, is also a good example of the other end of the spectrum. Quick talking, fast cutting, interesting stories, usually told out of sequence. You know, he's known for his dialogue. And he's parlayed that into pretty much a near perfect filmography. um, Where Blomkamp, he had, he's got the knack, but I, you know, I wasn't a fan of, uh, of Elysium. It was, you know, it felt like there was a lot more there. Uh, I will say, I will defend um, Chappie. I really did like Chappie. There's a lot of, yeah, yeah, I'm one of those guys. I defend Chappie. Chappie. I like Chappie. Um, I actually saw his weird little indie film that he made during the pandemic, which you're sitting there and you're like, okay, this was like on a no-string budget. There's big ideas in this, but... It just didn't really come together, and uh, I haven't seen Gran Turismo, but that felt like all right. I need to make uh, a movie that's going to make me some money. But I, I digress. Gran Turismo. This...
0: That's the Clint Eastwood movie. No, uh,
1: the the bracing movie. That's the game. Oh, that's Neil Blomkamp. That's Neil Blomkamp. Yeah. Oh wow. That's what he uh, quit RoboCop to do. Which really bummed me out because uh, I thought he could have done a fantastic RoboCop. Again, talking about porting an aesthetic to something. But I guess it's like, well, I need to make money. So um, it's kind of how the Hollywood machine works. So uh, overall, it's, it's an interesting thing. It's not something I would tell people to pop in all the time. Like It's, it's, it's a solid experimental film. I'll put it that way. Uh, you know, I I love Kitamura, but like you can, it's it's in the same way. I love absolutely love uh, Wes Anderson, but when I watch Bottle Rocket, that doesn't feel like Wes Anderson to me. Like he, his his he hasn't really sunk into his his aesthetic quite yet. Like he he's still you know getting his feet wet, if you will. Um, but you could see the seeds were sown. Like he 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 saw something bigger here, and. I'll parlay into what we're going to talk about next. But Arian, I'm curious about your first time
0: watching this. Um, for this, for the, for "Drag Me to Hell," or
1: yeah, for "Drag Me to Hell," we're, we'll
0: we'll hop into verses. <laughs> for that, I uh, I kind of saw it as like a like a not like a prologue, but kind of like a. Yeah, like a like a first draft, a rough draft, and it's like, okay, this is what I want to do. Mm. And uh, and then I saw Versus as more like the main the main event where it's like, okay, I see the reference, okay, I see what they're doing here, and I get, you know, that they expanded on what they were you know, the whole undead thing. Especially toward the end of Versus. I was like, Oh, okay, I got it. Got mm-hmm. it. But uh I don't have a whole lot to say about uh <laughs> Down to Hell. I keep calling it Drag Me to Hell, but that's the random yeah. movie. Uh, <laughs> Which down is great, hell. and it's uh,
1: down to great. By the way, side note: Drag Me to Hell, fantastic movie. I
0: I don't have a whole lot to say. Um, it, I kind of watched it and was like, okay, you know, cool, awesome. But what I do have a lot to say, and we can just get into it. Uh, Let's hop in. Watching, watching versus. Uh,
1: all right, all right. Well, here we go. Okay, you and I have talked about, you know, we, okay, so I kind of want to, uh, the way I want to do this, let's go through the basic real quick, because I kind of want to get into some more of the ditty gritties of this, because I could talk okay. about this movie all day. So Versus, essentially, is a story about, um, <laughs> well, okay, <laughs> okay, yeah, you got me there. Forgot. The opening starts with a samurai slicing open a corpse in one of the bloodiest openings. It's almost akin to, like, the opening of Ichi of the Killer, which came out right, right around the same time. Um, uh, this badass samurai who's missing an arm... By the way, it took me, like, three viewings to really notice that. Um, takes on these, uh, kind of, uh, these goon-looking dudes, takes them out, and then faces this, uh, this monk who just... Straight up murders him and as he lies there dying, you see another samurai and a girl and then cuts right into the opening credits, which gives us um, two men running through the through the forest and they have um, they they have uh, convict jumpsuits on. So clearly they're prisoners of some sort. Uh, they meet up and like an opening uh, with some weird Yakuza looking dudes. Who a girl with him?
0: I love this genre of bad guy, the -the over-the-top flamboyant.
1: Oh, it's so good!
0: I love. I like to call it the uh, John Leguizamo in uh, in Romeo and Juliet.
1: Oh yes, very much so. Very much like this. That this is what. So the leader of this group, who is insanely, oh my god, in ugh. Uh, I'm trying to think of a. He's like Gary Oldman in um, in uh, Leon. He's just official? yes yeah, over the top, over the top. Like doesn't feel like you. It doesn't feel like he fits in with the rest of the movie until he does. And it's just so frantic, and he's such a. He's essentially an anime bad guy come to life, and I that's part of the thing. When I first watched this movie at a tender age of see 2016 I was 17 years old when I watched this movie for the first time and in these opening five minutes it uh, my mind just blew up at what I was viewing um, so meets a group of, of a bad, of, of bad guys they got this girl with uh, with them and they're all told hey uh, the guy that hired us said to meet us here so we're all just gonna hang around well of course uh, things go badly as our main character, uh, who's just oozing charisma. Uh, pretty much doesn't like the sound of these dudes. Gets into a fight. Uh, things go nuts. They end up killing the other prisoner that was with our hero. As uh, there's, there's a kerfuffle, uh, the dead prisoner comes back to life as a bloody zombie. And I've never seen more gunfire in... An opening five minutes of my life than in this moment. In that, while that goes on, hero takes off with the girl. They run to the forest. Girl lets on that she knows a little more than what's than than what's happening. Our hero is kind of oblivious to the whole thing. Um, they wander. Bad guys got to go find the the guy and the girl because they were told uh, their boss needs them both of them alive. Can't kill them. Um, while they're out in the forest. Uh, they find a body of a of a dead man clad in leather the most matrixy leather you've ever seen uh, so our hero chain switches clothes pretty much just robs this guy which who looks vaguely familiar to a certain samurai at the beginning of the movie and now our prisoner hero is donned in his trademark black shirt black leather pants and the most badass leather coat that you'll ever see on screen. Like even the, the freaking, uh, what is it? The underworld movies are jealous of this coat because this coat, my God, like Kitamura made it a character. And much like the Cape and Dr. Strange is its own character. The coat in this movie is its own character. And it's, it makes the movie that much better for it. So, um, chaos ensues. Our heroes are running. Uh, The uh, the yakuza guys split up. A group of them stay together. One of the uh, a guy in a vest. There's a lot of vest wearing in in his films. uh, Ends up meeting up with our hero and the girl. A fist fight ensues, which (sighs) the 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 fist fights. By the way, when they're throwing punches, it's making rocket sounds. Yeah. Which is, again, 17-year-old me is losing his goddamn mind over this. So, meanwhile, the Yakuza guys are kind of like, hey, isn't that weird that that dude came back to life? And they're like, yeah, it's a little weird. And they realize it's like, maybe there's something up with this forest. And what we call the crazy dude, the little crazy guy, starts having a manic panic attack because... He realizes this is the forest where they come and bury all the bodies of their hit jobs. And, of course, all of the bodies of the guys that they have murdered start rising from their graves. Very, very Night of the Living Dead style. Um, it's literally a 10-minute gunfight with zombies with guns. Zombies with guns. I don't know if you understand. The implications yeah. of that. Uh, which brings both our hero. And the. Um, and the dude he's fighting. Back to the scene. Where uh, essentially a three way fight. Between zombies. Our hero. And these uh, Yakuza dudes. Ensues. So over the next ten minutes. You are seeing every manner of camera trick. And bloody gag that uh you can conjure up on i think it's a uh like a like a twenty five thousand dollar budget and it's beautiful my god is it's this is it's this that that, that image of of boon ho smoking saying this is cinema that's that's <laughs> that's me right there i that's this,
0: it the whole bit where there's two zombies pointing guns at each, each other yes and there are the characters <laughs> in the middle
1: yep and he just ducks. It
0: it it's so simple. It's so, but it's just seeing it is so satisfying. Oh,
1: and by the way, as all this all this insanity is going down, the head yakuza guy decides, hey, uh, I'm not worried about the zombies right now. I want to go finish the fight I had with our hero. And they start fighting amidst this entire battle, with one, like their fight. They're shooting zombies who are approaching them. Dodging bullets. This dude pulls out a, a, a switchblade. Starts trying to cut our hero. The, our hero's throwing fist, Still shooting. Cutting zombies. There's a moment where a head gets ripped off from one of the zombies. They t- Our hero tosses at the dude. He catches it. Does the no, no, no thing. Throws it back. There's a moment where our hero thinks he has the upper hand because he's got a gun to this guy's chest. Which he let the... the the Yakuza guy just lets out this cartoonish whistle and the camera cuts down and he's got the switchblade right at his dick. So that's what we call a standoff right there in this, in this maelstrom of insane action and horror are the, the little, the little nutty guy who is now drenched in blood by the way, Finds the girl that our hero was with and takes off with her into the forest to get away from all this stuff because he's having a mental breakdown. So our hero goes and chases after him. And the Yakuza's are left to finish off the zombies. We cut to two cops who are getting out of a wrecked car. And it is alluded to, these are the guys that were transporting our prisoners.
0: These are the two... It took me more... on this viewing, I'm like, oh, that's who they are. Yes. It didn't. There's again, nobody has names. No. Uh, in passing, in a, in a couple throwaway lines, it's like, oh, that's who, that's what they're here to do. Yeah. And so what these goes are the... on later makes it so much more confusing. <laughs> but we'll, we'll, we'll get into that in a second. Yeah.
1: So and these this dude, there's so there's the one dude who's a big burly dude. And so big burly cop and a smaller cop and the big cop who had his hand handcuffed to the prison, to one of the prisoners is now missing his hand because he got ripped off in the accident. So he's got this bloody stump and his, his partner's like, dude, aren't you hurt? He's like, no, no, I was trained at Langley. So my mind and my body, he's boasting the entire time about, how his how awesome his reflexes are he's got the reflexes of mike tyson he's got the the you know karate skills of bruce lee like he's just sure he's a he's a cop that's so full of shit that you can smell it a mile away and these this i mean look this movie's peppered with some comedic moments but these guys are the r2d2 and c3po of this movie they are the comic relief 100% and they come in and out like they the purpose of them is really just to explain how these guys got how the prisoner got where he was going and for gags later on. And that's it. It's to break up they're there essentially as act breaks in between some of the bigger action pieces. And this again this is why this movie's brilliant. Because you'll have awesome almost 10 minute long set pieces that at any they never feel they never feel like they drag on, and then it's like we need a break. Let's go back to the cops as they're trying to track down um, the ex- our escape prisoner. So as our uh, as our hero is on his way to find uh, the girl and the little crazy guy, the yakuza's are met up by the boss who shows up with his own gang of 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 um, kind of hired mercenaries, and there's a little you know kind of flexing between everybody and, uh, the boss, who's this really slick kind of cool dude. Like he's got this really, he's got this, um, very mono demeanor about him. Like he's just, he's a man of few words and a man of, he's a man of action, but he, he's very, he's very precise, very, uh, very elegant about the way he carries himself. And he's kind of mad that, uh, well, these guys have failed. So he takes it upon himself to uh dish out some, some justice. He kind of murders the first, first group first uh group of dudes. But he tells him it's like, oh no 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 like don't worry. This isn't the end. I'm uh, I'm gonna make you it's 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 Obi-Wan. If you strike me down now, I'll become more powerful than you can ever imagine. So now there here's the so we can, we're starting to get a little more into the twist. So we get back to the uh, we get back to our hero and the girl. The girl lays out who our our hero is and explains him is like, no, you don't understand. Like we know each other. Like we've we've done this before. Like this is we are in a, a cycle of resurrection. This forest is one of the I think it's six hundred and sixty-six portals on the earth where the dead can come back to life and they are also gateways to another dimension. I think it's kind of alluded that it might be hell, but it's never really given like a, a proper, it's never it's kind of like the source, you know, the, in, in the Highlander, it's like there's this power and everyone's fighting over it, but they're never really telling you what it is other than, you know, you're immortal and, till you kill all the other immortals and then you'll gain all the knowledge of the universe and there. It's like, well, but how, wait, how does this work? They're like, don't worry, don't about, worry it. about it. <laughs> don't worry about it. You just got to know that's what this thing is.
0: <clears throat> so I think the, uh, the portal was four, four, four. Cause that's the Japanese thing.
1: Yes. And that right. was, uh, yes, that that's the, she, she, yeah, I think, yeah, I think in the opening credits, that's what it gives us. So, Uh, our heroes kind of having like starts, he starts having flashbacks of times when, you know, he was a samurai, he was a man of justice. So that leads to another quick fight with a, an undead Yakuza, who is it? Well, who I call the techno Yakuza, because he's got this, (sighs) this dyed hair that's spiked up, he's wearing these T shades. And he looks like he just came out of a rave.
0: Do you remember that fight in Ghost in the Shell, where they're yes. fighting? And, you know, this is this fight reminds me a lot of that fight. <coughs> Excuse me. Mm. Um, what's the guy's name from Ghost in the Shell? I'm trying to remember. It's, um, oh
1: yeah, I'm blanking on it at the moment. Um,
0: it's another techie-looking dude, and essentially yeah. they're 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 on the rooftop and it's raining. Here they're like in a they're pond, river bank. They're on a river. Right there, you go. And I'm like, oh, this reminds yeah. me of uh, of that.
1: Yeah. So this is the moment. So after our hero dispatches this dude, this is the moment where our hero and villain finally meet. And our villain gives some, you know, some Jules-esque from, you know, Pulp Fiction, like kind of dank, you know, shit talking. And he's like, look, man, we've done this already. Like you screwed me you know I think it's like 300 or 150 or 300 years ago or something like that so he's like I've been sitting around waiting for you to come back to life just so I can have this moment and you're not going to screw it up for me again so this is where we get our first uh big fight uh between our hero and villain which our hero just gets his ass handed to him like he is completely outmatched by the bad guy who Has, uh, I would, I wouldn't say it's superpowers, but he's got above human strength and he's got like, there's, there's a little bit of mysticism to, to his, to his prowess. Like he's still kind of like, they're not moving like Neo in the matrix, but they, there's, he's definitely much stronger than, than your, uh, your average human being. And then wipes the floor with our hero, which gives him this gigantic you know, Scar, he cuts him, because he's got this amazing sword that he carries around in a briefcase. Like, the, when he shows up, he's got this briefcase, and I'm like, what, what's in that thing? He opens it up, and it's this badass sword that he assembles. Which, by the way, <laughs> again, it's it's adding a little bit of tech porn, like gear porn, into this kind of thing. without, You know, with a movie that doesn't have a lot of gear stuff in it. And... As our hero lays dying, unbeknownst to our uh, to our villain, as he's taking the girl away because she's key to opening this portal, she cuts her hand and puts her blood over our hero as he lays dying. And so, as he's laying there dying, we start we get the full story. We get the flashback of what happened. So we kind of go back to the opening of the movie where we see the aftermath of the fight with that first samurai and we see all of the Yakuza dudes are the the undead lackeys of our current big bad. And we see our hero just battle worn. He's got, um, he's got the samurai hat on with the, it's got a cut on it. He's Mm -hmm. wearing this giant cloak. He is like, you can already tell, like there was already a fight. He's, battle damaged, he's hurting, and so he's trying to, he's, you know, his whole thing is he's got to protect this girl, takes out the, um, he takes out the, uh, the, the, uh, some of the other, you know, lackeys, and gets in a fight with our uh, Buddhist-clad bad guy, and gets a sword rammed through him, as he's lying there dying, he looks over to the girl, she gives him a nod he realizes what he has to do in order to save the world and he straight up our hero straight up decapitates this poor girl thus screwing over our uh our villain and this does not please this does not please him at all so he gives him our our villain gives our hero one final fu and just murders him which Cuts back to present day and our hero wakes up realizing now what he is. While all this is going on, our bad guy has got the girl tied up, cuts her, puts the blood on his hand and does some of this, this weird enchantment hoping for this portal to open and take him to this other dimension that he wants to go to and nothing happens. And now he's like, what the hell? It's like kind of starts kind of, you know, Pressing the girl it's like, what happened? What what did you do? And she's kind of like, you know, hey, you know what? F you. And he's just like, what 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 did you do? And then he kind of starts putting two and two together. And he realized, he's like, oh. So her blood was only part of this key to open this portal. And he realizes when she used her blood to help resurrect our hero. So he would become an undead A zombie a mindless zombie like he comes back he realizes her blood and his blood are the real key and so he needs to he realizes oh i gotta just kill this guy again because now the key is formed all i gotta do is just murder him use his blood and i can open up and cause whatever chaos and carnage that uh i am up to sure realize that makes sense right Kind of, again, he's all, like, it's alluded that this guy, if he gets his way, something bad's gonna happen, but it's never really explained other than, we just gotta stop this guy from doing this. I don't know if he's trying to obtain godlike powers, I don't know if he wants to become the ruler of hell, we don't, we just know it's bad. So, our hero comes back, he gets a badass sword. Or he gets his badass sword and gets a freaking gun. So we get our poster shot of him with the sword, him with the sword over, you know, kind of on his shoulders and the gun hanging out, blood scarring on the side of his face. And our villain realizes, okay, he's alive again, takes all of his new undead minions, which, by the way, now the who's a leader has become this he's become a dog essentially
0: like, like a spider dog person
1: yes, like and he's completely gone nuts like he's just he, he crawls like he doesn't crawl he kind of bear crawls if you will like he, like he's trying to pretend like he's galloping <laughs> yeah so what leads to an awesome daylight fight a girl coming in. Straight up lane waste of these guys. This is where our. Our other. Um, so. the So this is where the cops come back in. And the only other person. Who is not affected. By becoming a zombie. Which is the. Uh, the crazy little dude. And he.
0: Oh <laughs> right he's still alive.
1: He's still alive. He kind of disappears for a little bit. Actually, I believe he hooks up with uh one of, with the girl who was going to help him get out of there. There was a girl in the uh in the second squad, and I believe yeah, there were two girls. One of them gets killed, the other one gets away, and so they kind of team up, realizing, hey, we're in over our heads. We gotta get out of here. Um, so the little dude shows up. He uh he gets into the melee. Uh, I. Our hero gets a hold of a bazooka or a rocket-propelled grenade, ends up killing the uh, the two cops who just rolled in. They don't even, they never throw a punch. They don't do anything. And the main cop, you know, tries he tries to avoid the rocket-propelled grenade, thinking that you know he can dodge it like Neo. He does the whole Neo thing where he flap, you know, flips backwards. And just gets blown to bits. So, uh, our the crazy little guy gets away. The, uh, which leads to, no joke, because I sat down and rewatched before we did this, a 12 and a half minute sword fight between our hero and our villain. And, this, for a low budget movie, this is one of the most magnificently shot sword fights I've ever seen. They just reeks of everything badass that you want in cinema. This This is So for me there there are certain there are certain movies that I call dude movies where you could show them to a girl and she might go like, "Yeah, it's kind of fine," but they'll never truly understand them. Like dude movies are like I would say um Tombstone. That's a dude movie. Oh yeah. Big Lebowski, that's a dude movie.
0: Definitely. Uh,
1: in the comedy section, Kung Pao is a dude movie. I have not, sure. I've never met a single woman that A, has has even heard of it, and, and B, ask what the hell it is. And if you show them, they roll their eyes because it's so childish and so stupid, but it speaks to every guy. It's that kind of twelve year old humor that you never grow out of this 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 movie this moment is the epitome of what I call a dude movie because you are getting a, f- a completely kinetic fight the swords when they clash like they're throwing sparks the you're getting shots of like spins and the and the the again going back the 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 jacket. It's almost like a cape it's like flying in the air he's using it to like you know completely like uh block himself like batman uses his cape like how batman uses his cape there's they cut back and forth to like them fighting in the past to now to, to gets this one beautiful moment where they realize okay we're at the impasse and it is the sword version it's not even like a samurai mode it, it, it is kind of like a said but it's not quite like a samurai mode it's more like say the like the end of John Wick four where each guy has has a has a gun and they each have one bullet and they fire at each other it's kind of that where they do this one they kind of like stand apart they come close both do like a spin the villain misses. The hero throws, uses his sword, throws up these, like, a bunch of leaves as cover, and slits our villain's throat. His head then gets kicked off of his body with one giant, like, Muay Thai knee. And you see his head just fall, and he's still kind of alive, watching, as he realizes, like, All right, you won this round. But I'll be back. So... Our villain is defeated. Our hero gets the girl, gets on this badass motorcycle, and they ride off. And you think that's where the movie's going to end. Oh, no. no, no, no. No. This is, this moment, because I remember, there's there's moments in your life. Ariane, there's moments in your life you can remember, like they were yesterday, right? From, mm. like, years ago. I remember exactly where I was sitting at the, the time when I watched this movie, because I bought this as a VHS bootleg off eBay. And I, at this point, this is everything that I've ever wanted out of cinema. I thought the matrix had given me everything, but I was like, no, 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 this is, this is, this is the stuff I wanted to do as a young, you know, entrepreneuring film filmmaker. I'm like, this is the kind of stuff I, I, I always wanted to do like just gritty stylized violence with like a cool aesthetic because then we cut to a title card that says 99 years later and there's, this, go. there's this beautiful model shot, which by the way, models need to come back in, in movies. They have to just this desolate blown out city that looks like something out of violence, Jack or fist of the North star just laid in waste. It's beautiful,
0: my, man. Oh my it's god, all, it's it's so good. It's all handmade. It's it looks like a uh, like an early 2000s uh, Millennium Godzilla movie.
1: Yes, you know what it reminded me of, of most? It kind of reminded me of the aesthetic from Gunhead. Yeah, 100. percent So <laughs> we see this cloaked figure walking through the through the ruins comes into this warehouse there's a group of bald zombies who we recognize as the yakuza members from earlier in the film but yeah there but there's but there but there's there's more so the cloaked figure pulls back the cloak revealing the bad guy but he's got a different demeanor about him now and we cut back to the to the Yakuza guys, and we see that they're not alone. The girl is there, and now leading them is our hero, and he is all gacked out, like he is full on heel mode. Like his hair's in a different style. He's got this, this pale complexion, dark like bags under his eyes, but the smile on his face. And the the our the girl says. Damn, you know what? I was wrong. I should have been on your side. And our hero, now villain, gives her just a quick slap. And the last words of our hero says, there's nothing left in this world to destroy. (laughs) Take me to the other side, brother. And the music starts building. And he pulls up the most badass sword I have ever seen in my life. It's got this hilt that looks like it's part gun, (laughs) part, like, a techno sword and you hear this 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 like whine come up and you realize the sword has three predator esque laser sights on it. The bad guy, now turned good guy, throws his cloak back to reveal his own techno sword. As the music builds the they charge each other a spin, they clash credits. And one of the greatest ending ending beats I've ever heard just go, starts going over the credits, and that directed by Ryu Kitamura comes up. It was 1 a.m. I got up off my couch. I was home alone. Watched this in my living room, and I did a backflip because I had just witnessed the greatest moment, the greatest piece of cinema. Of my young life at that moment. And I'm like, I I must share this with the world. And I did. I took that tape. I took it to to my high school the next day. Because I was already the guy passing around the bootleg copy of Battle Royal. (laughs) By the end of my sophomore year, everybody in in my school knew about Battle Royal from my one videotape that I picked up at Comic-Con because no one had ever seen anything like it i come back i tell my friends i give it to one guy i'm just like you like my buddy his name was buddha that was well that was his role but that's what we called him we called him buddha we were in weights together and he was always like dude do you got anything else like that because i was picking up this is 17 year old chris has a lot of you know Fu money coming in because I have no bills, no car, no nothing. So I'm just buying movies and from eBay left. And right. this is in the glory days of eBay when you could buy bootlegs left and right. And I was picking up anything that I was reading on, you know, either ain't it cool or dark horizon stuff that would come out. And I'm like, Oh, I got to get that. I got to get that. I bring this to him. And I'm like, Hey man, this tape is near and dear to me. Like I would be remiss to not to tell you. This is the same thing as as the Battle royal tape. Guard this with your life. But you must go home tonight. You must watch it and you must come back and return this tape to me. He's like, "Okay." The next day, we meet up in weight class. He brings the tape to me. And I'm like, "What'd you think?" He's like, "This is the greatest movie I've ever seen." Like, <laughs> I've, what what is this? I'm like, this is art. This is cinema. This is pure, unadulterated joy. And I showed everybody that I could get eyes on this movie. My buddy Sergio, I loaned it to him. He calls me up the next night. He's like, dude, I just watched this movie. I'm like, what'd you think? He's like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. This spoke to an entire generation because, Ari and you know, so the, Late nineties, early two thousands, Japan was putting out a certain kind of you know movie. They were good, putting out good stuff. Takashi Miike was really kind of making his footing. Horror was a big thing coming out of Japan. That was the year we got you know the era we got Ring, uh, Juno, uh, or no ju The Grudge. Junon. The Grudge. Thank you. Junro is the is the red spectacles. That's the that's the other thing. But stuff like that. Like, Ichi the Killer had not quite made its way out here yet, so we weren't really, we weren't, we weren't, we were just at the cusp of this insanity. But Battle Royal had already hit, and it started making the rounds. And that was the thing, people were like, Japan's making this kind of stuff? This movie broke the mold, because even in Japan, no one was making anything like this. No one was making anything like this in America. This was something new. This was something bold. This was something fresh. And I see a lot of people, there was, you know, in the coming months, once it finally started kind of getting out there, and eventually, I think within, like, a year or two, uh, the good people at Media Blasters, God bless their souls, put out this deluxe edition DVD. And by that point, I already bought a bootleg DVD, and I had gotten it signed, and nice. yeah, but they had managed to get like all the other little things Kitamura had made with this film because this this was a big deal. This was like a this was like a um, a festival circuit darling. Like, ain't it cool news at the time? They were the ones to really like. You got to see this movie. Like, there were there were there were a couple of um, writers on there. That were like, you've never seen anything like this. This movie is something different. It's something awesome. This is. This is pure genre joy. Like, and, and it, and, um, you know, aptly, it got comparisons to, you know, the Evil Dead series, especially Evil Dead 2. Because there's a lot of the same kind of kinetic, like, camera work in it. But it's not, I wouldn't say it's a one-to-one comparison. Because it's a very different beast in and of itself. But as it's starting? around there were some of the people who would poo poo this movie they're like oh it's just you know it's fluff i'm like no this is art this is cinema and in the in the coming months by the time it got to us and you know it was it got out in japan got over here kit tomorrow was already lining up a couple of other projects i think the second movie that in the chronological order i want to say I think he did origami first, and then he did Alive. But we got Alive first. I remember going to see Alive at the Egyptian Theater on a double bill with Are You Ready, mm. Godzilla, Tokyo SOS.
0: Okay. That's...
1: That was. That was
0: mm.
1: Yeah, yeah. I. Who? I what in. was
0: the audience for that? Uh,
1: the audience that hung over for Godzilla Tokyo SOS sat there and watched it. I, and I drug. I, I took all my friends, and I, I had a uh, another friend who she was kind of not into any of this crap, and I kind of uh, strong armed her into it because I um, she was a, a massive hockey fan, and I indulged her one night in technically I wouldn't call it quite stalking, but it was borderline stalking a couple of the players on their uh, bus yeah it's we were we were i drove as we are following them going from i think it was the pond and they were off to they were going up north and i we got to like santa barbara i'm like i'm not going any further and she's like why not i'm like because i'm not driving to san jose so this is as far as we're going to go this is getting a little too too out there by the way this girl eventually she did the she did something similar with um O Town, the boy band, and followed them all the way to Scottsdale on a whim. That's this is how Nadisha, she's no longer with us, but the the, the making band. the band reality series O Town. Oh yes, um, we went to a taping of it was um oh what was it it wasn't Rachel Ray it was one of these real no it was wasn't Simbad God I forgot it was Sinbad comedian the head of. Show? Sinbad is on show. I went to Sinbad's show to see James Cameron because we knew someone who worked in production. So they got his tickets. But, um, this was like a daytime, this was like a daytime talk show. I think I forgot it was someone, someone decent. It was a decent like name. I I completely, it's blanking on me at the moment because it was 20 goddamn years ago. Um, so, that was in Holly. That was in Burbank. I went home, and then she calls me, and she's in. She's like, "Do you know where Blythe is?" I'm like, "Yeah. Oh, that's where I'm at right now." I'm like, "What? Why?" She's like, "Oh, uh, I've been. I I was coming home, and I saw the O town bus, and I just started following." This girl had. I I don't want to say she had ADD, but she had a. She was kind of a free spirit, and just kind of was like, "Oh, I'm just gonna follow them." I'm like, "What? What are you doing? Like, why? Come on, Come on back!" So. Because of, you know, that following the ducks one night, I'm like, no, no, I'm dragging you to this. So you, I had to go through this crap. You're going through my crap. And she sat there watching Alive in a Godzilla movie with us. Four other nerdy dudes. And she's like, what the hell did you drag me to? I'm like, I dragged you to cinema. That's what I did. I dragged you because I'm expanding your mind. So. Let's get into the details of this movie. Arian, your thoughts, because I've drawn on for about 20 minutes already. Uh,
0: number one, it's a bit long.
1: Yeah, that is the thing I did notice in this last rewatch. I'm like, God, this yeah, this is longer than I remember it being. And it's almost like, I think it's like two hours and five minutes.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is. It is two hours and five minutes. Mm-hmm. And there are parts of the movie I'm not going to... Okay, It's not a bad movie. I watched mm. it. I, I enjoyed it. But there's parts of the movie where you're just like, this could have been sped up. This could have been, you know... It could have been trimmed down a little bit. Uh, that's that's the big... That's, if I'm going to complain about one thing in this movie, it's going to be it's too long.
1: Yeah. By the way, we're not even talking about the extended cut, which there is. Which no. is even longer. Oh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> so... I watched Final Wars before I saw this uh, Mm -hmm. in real life. Yeah. Um, Watching Final Wars and then watching Versus, yeah, there's, number one, you're going to see a lot of familiar faces uh, Mm -hmm. playing Exalians. Tak Sakaguchi, who's our main character, uh, shows up in a lot of stuff.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh um, he fights Don Fry in Final Wars too, which it took me my third viewing to to realize that. Like I you know, I was at that premiere and i had I was so enamored with the fact that I was at the premiere I didn't even realize that was Tack fighting Don. And it once I finally got it on DVD, I'm like, oh, Kitamura, you brilliant, brilliant son of a bitch. You did the thing. Because it, you know, I saw it and it was like a year and a half later until I saw it again because Right. You didn't get like
0: an official release, but continue forth. Uh, there's a there's a lot of buy-ins in this movie. You get to buy-in that there is hundred and sixty-six gates and and there's a lot of there's a lot of that where it's like you they don't explain and they don't really have to explain mm-hmm. the uh the rules of dying coming back, but what you do yeah. have to you do have to know about this movie is if you die in a certain area of Japan That is the gate to hell. Mm -hmm. And you will be resurrected to a zombie. And not just a traditional zombie where you get shot in the head. No. No. You have to be obliterated. Mm -hmm. You have to be destroyed. Nothing close of of being uh, blown up to die permanently. But when you are resurrected, you do gain, like you mentioned earlier, not supernatural but heightened powers, heightened Mm -hmm. abilities.
1: Yeah, kind of like ca- you become Captain America, essentially.
0: Sure, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, our, our main character, who was Prisoner 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, I guess, is Takasakuchi. Uh, this guy, I'm surprised he hasn't done I, – I know he's a working actor, but I'm surprised he hasn't done as much as he's – He's very charismatic. He's a great leading guy. He's got a good look. He's got he's very uh, gifted uh, in in martial arts. So, am I missing something? Did I not follow his career? Or
1: no, he it he became like a cult actor. Like in, a, in many ways, he kind of became the Bruce Campbell of Japan. Yeah. Um. Because you, again, you look at Bruce Campbell, and Bruce Campbell is a charismatic dude. When he was younger, he was like a strapping guy. Um, but it was just the, I think it's, when you do, like, these cult movies, you kind of get typecast, and as much as Kitamore tried to, you know, because he shows up in Alive, because in lot in the movie Alive, uh, the bad guy in that, in, in Versus, is the main character in Alive, and they recreate the fight sequence uh, in... At the end of verses, as uh, as Tack is revealed to be this synthetic alien creature that he has to fight at the end, and Tack's all geared up in makeup and stuff like that. He kind of looks like um, if Tack got the powers of Senator Armstrong from um, Metal Gear um, Revengeance. Um, and I think he has a brief. He's got a. I think he's briefly in Azumi, but at that point. Um, I believe he went on uh to do you know like he did a lot of um a lot of like these because what versus did it kind of between verses and Takashi Mike it created the subgenre of these kind of like splatter over the top movies that kind of became mainstream for uh like a good part of the decade uh to the point towards the end of the decade that's when that sushi typhoon label. Popped up in Japan, where they were explicitly making these kind of like gory splatter comedy horror films. Right. They were directly That's, marketed to Americans. Like he does like,
0: show up in a Yakuza weapon, right?
1: He's in Yaku- he actually directs Yakuza Weapon. That's right. That. He he directed that. Uh, he's in Battlefield Baseball. He shows up in Crom- uh, Cromarty High, the movie in the opening. Um, actually, I believe he's in the opening of, he's the main, he's the first boss fight in Tokyo Gore Police as well. And he's in Dead Ball as well. So he's, he's done, like he, but that, that's the thing. He got kind of typecast. I think he pops up in a couple, he'd be actually, I want to say he became a stunt coordinator for a few of the Common Rider shows as well
0: he i know he shows up in uh kamen rider kabuto as one of the monsters of the week mm-hmm. uh, i think he has a, maybe more than one week but um i think he i don't have 100 percent on uh, him doing some work but he does show up in kamen rider yeah
1: so uh i mean i had i actually had the years ago we got to interview um Kitamura for um the la comic-con he was on our panel so I asked him a question. It's like because there is actually a bit of lore about Tack that he was a street fighter on the streets of Shinjuku, and oh yeah, that's how Kitamura found him. At least that's how the story goes. And Kitamura told the story. He's like, because I asked him, I like, is there any any rumor? Is there any validity to that? And he's like, well, you know, I think he wants to keep the legend of that story alive. I like, I think he likes it too. That the fact he found Tack street fighting and said, Hey, boy, you need to be in pictures. Why don't you come be in my movie? Um And the the you know the the lore is like he came up, you know, fighting that he made his money, you know, doing illegal street fights. And eventually he got the attention of Kitamura. And Kitamura even said he's like, you know, he's you know he's like Tac told me yeah, that he was like this big underground guy and they called him the White Wolf of Shinjuku, which I turned to him. I'm like, that's a movie. That's a movie right there. Like you can just. Hi. That's a hell of a name, too. Like that's I would watch the crap out of a movie out of that story, even if it's not real. That's a awesome story. Um, But after Final Wars, Kitamura packed up and came to America to do you know he went his goal was always to be in uh Hollywood and um ironically you want to know something he was offered first and he turned it down. He was offered to direct uh Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift. What a (laughs) who here's the thing speaks he speaks perfect English because he went to school in uh in Melbourne so he has that ability. Like I, he realized too, if I ever want to make it in, in, in America, I need to learn English. So he speaks fluent English. He's, it's perfect. And I remember him telling that story. He's like, yeah, you know, but he's like, it's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to kind of make my mark. And he eventually came over to do, um, midnight me train, which. In of itself is a damn good movie. Like it was, it was, um, it's a Clive Barker story. Clive actually worked on the movie. I think he wrote the script with DeMora. and it was a Lionsgate film. And I remember being at that Comic Con panel when they were announcing. I'm like, yeah, we're gonna do this. And I think he had Clive with him. And it was supposed to come out, I think, in the summer of 2005. So like a year after Final Wars. Like he he finished Final Wars, went to America, did this. And then there was a regime change at uh, Lionsgate. And the old president was out, new president came in, and a couple of the movies that were on the slate uh, to be released got pushed to the wayside. And unfortunately, Kitamura's film was part of that. And in a weird turn of events, the movie did get a theatrical release. But it didn't get released to any major theater. It was actually released to the secondary houses, which aren't even a thing anymore. Do you remember the theaters that would show movies that were like yeah. a couple of months old?
0: Yeah, you would. Uh... After, they were the cheapies. After a couple of weeks, yeah. After a couple of weeks, they would be, if uh, if Star Wars came out on May 1st, by mm-hmm. June 1st, uh, it would be at the secondary uh theaters and it would be like
1: a dollar 50 yeah per ticket that was the thing yeah because at that the way so the way that works is the fact that these theaters would make money off the fact that they could charge cheap so that would get more people in and they would make money off the concessions so because the the deals would be at that point the studio was only taking like 30 percent of the box office tickets so they could get away with charging You know, dollar fifty to like five bucks for a ticket, Um, and I remember reading. I'm like, that is such a weird thing. I don't think anybody had ever really done that before. It was some. It it felt like a weird experiment because at that time, you got to remember. No, this is 2007. Streaming's not a thing yet. Um, The DVD market's still big. Home video is still a big thing, but you would watch. You there would be like like. Case in point, uh, Tremors 2. I love Tremors 2. It's actually a very good movie, and it's a well-made movie, but it's clearly down in budget from the first one. But I'm like, these movies kind of deserve to be seen on a big screen. And I was, you know, part of you know, part of me was like, why don't they release them to, like, the second run, kind of like how the drive-in used to be, like, the dumping ground for, like, all of these cult movies and these B-grade movies that people would just go see. And I know that wasn't their intent. I think they had to contractually release it theatrically before they could put it on video. But it just got buried. And unfortunately, it kind of derailed his American career for, for a long while. Um, I believe right after that, he went back to Japan. Uh, you know what sucks? Projects. What?
0: What sucks is, you know who the star of Midnight Meat Train is?
1: It is a young, uh, alias-era Bradley Cooper.
0: Yeah. That's wild.
1: Yeah, with Vinnie Jones. Vinnie Jones was the name in that movie. He was, right. He, Vinnie he, he, Jones. Vinny Jones and Brooke Shields shows up in this thing. I remember sitting there going like, "Holy crap, Brooke!" I'm like she hadn't done anything in years. I'm like, "Wow, he got Brooke Shields for this."
0: Vinny Jones. That's... For for those who don't know, is um is a is a uh, frequent collaborator with Guy Ritchie. And, oh uh, yeah. He he's the uh, tough British look. He's a tough, mean-looking British guy who barely yeah. speaks.
1: Yes, uh, he looks like a soccer hooligan, and that's kind of what he is too. That's,
0: that's his background. He yeah, yeah, that's exactly
1: what he. Is. He actually plays that character in um, Euro Trip. He's the, uh, the the head soccer hooligan. Perfect. That's perfect. Yeah. Um, so and Brooke Shields and, and is uh. Jesus, she she's like an art dealer that's dealing with Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper's a photographer in this movie, and he's like filming like the streets of, L, of New York like at night, and falls asleep on a subway train one night and inadvertently catches Vinny Jones's character, whose name's Mahogany, murdering someone brutally, and he gets away. So Mahogany, who you don't really you don't understand why he's killing these people, but there's a reason for it. Uh, Bradley Cooper kind of becomes obsessed with him, but Mahogany is also like, dude, this dude saw me. We gotta do, I gotta do something about it. So, kind of becomes this cat and mouse. Like they're like, like Ted Rainey shows up in like a weird cameo, only to get his head bashed in with a mallet, and like in like pure Kitamura moment, his eyeball flies out of his out of the socket of his head towards the camera, and it's just this br- brutally gory moment, and it's. It's great. I, I'm a big Clive Barker fan, and this was actually one of like the better, like Barker adaptations. The uh,
0: the, the third act of Midnight Me Train, because the first two acts you're like, oh okay, you know it's yeah, it's it's a, it's a straightforward horror movie. But then you remember it's a Clive Barker, and then it gets story. into Clive, Bar- it gets into Clive then, Barker territory. Without spoiling too much. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah. There's there's sinister forces at work. So yeah so at that point Kitamura, I think he goes back to Japan he does like he does a documentary he does a um he does this um motion capture movie not mo- like a, no it's not motion capture it's a um oh like uh, uh what's it, um the term it's a um kind of like how Ralph Bakshi would make his movies like yeah, where they draw over the actors to make it look animated right. um so he, he does that think. Yeah, it's called Bat uh Batten. Um comes back to America and then it's kind of regulated to doing these almost kind of direct to video like quality movies. He did uh a movie with Clive Owen called No One Lives that I actually really enjoyed. It's it's a it's a very it's a there's no it's not a horror movie, it's a it's a thriller, but it's a very it's a very wicked thriller. Um then he did I don't think I've seen that one. He did Downrange after that, I want to say he then went back to Japan, did Lupin III, which um, I don't. I think even he wasn't satisfied with that because the producer who worked on, I think he was one of the producers on Final Wars. Um, this was like the first, I think, like modern live-action Lupin movie. And you know, I like Lupin. I get, I it's it's got it. It's got charm. I know a lot of anime fans kind of destroyed it, but to, to be fair, no one. I've never met an anime fan that ever liked any live-action uh, adaptation of anything. So, um, and then he did. He came back here. He did an independent movie called Downrange, which is that's gold. That's a great movie. It's about a sniper just picking people off on this little desolate highway. I I I actually got to go on the set. Yeah, I got invited to the set on this one to watch like the final. Like the last ten minutes of the of the final being filmed. And it's a gory, ugly, ugly in a good way, though. Like it is a it's a it's a nihilistic movie. And I love the... I'm like, this is okay, this is you're coming you're coming back to your roots. They did a movie called Doorman, which um with Jean Renault and uh I think it's Ruby Rose, the girl that played Batgirl or Batwoman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um not uh Sadly, it's probably the one that I of of his entire filmography, I Oh man, this this is lacking that oomph. And from what I've heard, he wasn't satisfied with it because it's one of those movies that kinda got taken away from him and re-edited. Hmm. And uh he has one out right now called The Price We Pay with Emil Hirsch, which is a another really gritty thriller. So he's kind of been doing like he he's tried to move away from horror. He's kinda like in his He's doing these kind of early John Carpenter, like, more Assault on Precinct 13 kind of movies than, you know, being kind of cornholed into that, that, like, I'm just this genre director. Actually, he has a movie out in Japan right now. Um, I'm blanking on the name, but it is a sequel to Sky High. And uh, it hasn't made its way out here yet, but from what I was told by a few people, it is nothing like he's ever done before it's not an action movie it's a it's a it's a drama actually so um it's got supernatural elements to it but it's not it's not like any of the stuff he's ever done so i think he's trying to really like as he's getting older he's trying to show like i got more range i can do more things than just these 10 things kind of like do you remember in the late 90s when there was like a rash of like uh you had uh david lynch do a straight story you had uh, Sam Raimi do for uh, for the love of the game, and then I think Wes Craven made that violin movie, where the Oh, the red violin, yeah, yeah. Where they're like, hey, we can do more than just horror. Like we can, we're capable of more.
0: Yeah, yeah, Bailey. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. So it feels like he's in that that kind of moment. He's having that moment right now because he's I think he's like 55 now, he's pushing 60. So you know, it's he hasn't.
0: We gotta I would, get him on would, the show.
1: I would love to. I've, lo- I've met. I've talked to him several times. I think he knows me now as the we- dude The weirdo. So yeah, as the weirdo because um when we had him at the. So uh, my esteemed colleague Jessica managed. To, I always told her when we did the, when we started the Kaiju podcast. She's like, who do you want more than anything else? I'm like, I'd love to get Guillermo. Because she was working on something to get the Guillermo to do an interview. But Kit Tamora was like my main one. I always wanted to talk to Kit Tamora because I, I met him, if anything, he cost, meeting Kit Tamora the first time cost me my first job. I got fired from my very first worth job. it? Very worth it. Um, because I lied to my boss where I was so I can go to Anime Expo, which was down here in Anaheim because he was signing in mid-afternoon and I was not going to meet him because I was worshiping the ground this guy walked on. Um, you know, I'm 21, 22 at the time. And I lied through my teeth where I was. I eventually came in super late to work. My boss was not happy. And then like two weeks later, um, he fires me, and I'm like, why? He's like, I think you know why. I'm like, mm, all right, touche. So, you know, I told I told him that, and he's just like, you know, that's he's like, that's I, you know, I'm sorry, I cost you. I'm like, it's, it's, it's not a big deal, but you know, he's like, it's. I think I think it the the idea of like the celebrity part of him was like, oh, okay, you know, I got a, a little bit of a fan here. But when we had him on uh the panel, the Uh, Jessica managed to get, like, an autograph set up for him at the the Comic-Con. And so we were – Jessica was doing some things, and she asked me, hey, can you kind of manage things here? So I got, like, a whole, like, two hours to sit and talk with this guy. And I was kind of droning on and on, and I was trying to be cool about it, but the nerd in me was coming out. And at some point, I brought every movie I had of his on DVD. And at that point, I had – I, I had versus signed and I had him sign um Final Wars because it was the year he showed up at Comic-Con, Tack showed up too.
0: So nice.
1: so I got to meet both I got to meet him again and I got to meet Tack and had him sign everything. So I dropped my backpack which just made this thud on the table and I even told him like, "Hey man, fair warning, don't think I'm a weirdo, but I brought stuff for you to sign, but I'm not a weirdo." And I open the backpack and spill out like 18 DVDs. And he's like, holy crap. And he starts going through them. He's like, where did you get a copy of down to hell? I'm like, I got it off eBay. He's like, I don't even have a copy of this. I'm like, how I'm like, I brought, I pulled out long which was this other short thing that he did. And he's like, I, what, 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 holy crap. So he signed my entire collection did a board, and at the time he was going to do this um, this horror movie about the Queen Mary. He's like, hey, look, man, I appreciate your your super fan. I'm going to do this movie in Long Beach. You're local. I'm like, yeah. He's like, when I do it, give my my um, my handler a call. Shout out to Kazuki. Um, and he's like, we'll we'll have you come on the set. Maybe you can hang out and watch. You know, see how the uh, the the sausage is made, as they will. That never happened, but a couple of years later, that's how I got to get onto the, the set of uh, Downrange. So I got <laughs> to fulfill a, a, a couple of kind of like moments I never thought. It was that and hanging out with Ultraman at Comic-Con last year. Those were like moments of like, all right, I'm, I'm living a good life here. Oh, and watching Godzilla with one of the guys that played Godzilla. So I, I, I've had a good nerdish life. But droning on about verses. We
0: gotta get we gotta get Kinomori on here and let's talk about everything except movies. Like, what's what are you listening to right now?
1: Oh, that, dude, he's a he's a big music guy. Like he loves his pop culture. Like again, I feel like I'm again I some I realize after my whole droning, I'm like oh, yeah I'm some weird Uber fan. Like I you know I'm the comic book guy. It's like the, the time you you know I'm not doing the voice right now.
0: Let's talk to him about uh. Uh mid nineties, uh straight to video. <laughs> he could tell you all kinda dude,
1: that guy went deep into like he he got deep into Peter Weir movies with me. Like we were talking about a lot of stuff and Peter Weir and then we got into George Miller and we were we went on about George Miller for like a good like forty five minutes. And apparently he's a big fan of Babe. Like he he apparently he liked Babe or Babe Pig in the City, so that's the one Miller did. Oh, the sequel. Yeah, the sequel, which everyone says is the better movie anyway. So, but this movie, Tack, you know, sadly, TAC, um, the last thing I saw him in was that Nick Cage movie. Uh, oh, uh, of Ghost of Fukushima. Ghost of the Wasteland or something there like that. Go. Yeah, so Nick Cage and, and Tack are sharing a good chunk of this movie. It's a very weird, very weird movie. It feels like a um, D.W. Richter, the guy that did... Um, uh, Buckaroo Banzai. It has that vibe to it. Uh, it's is it a good movie? Ah, I'm I'm hard pressed to say it's a good movie. It's a weird movie, and that's what I loved it for. It's it's an entertaining movie, but there's I don't think there's ever a Nick Cage does not make bad movies, but he's in bad movies, but they're very watchable. He can make any piece of garbage the most entertaining piece of garbage that there is out there. Like, I'm a ride or die Nick Cage guy. Um, but that's the last thing I saw him in. He had, I don't think he's popped up. Um, he might be doing like back to like stunt work. I know that that was like his, his, his thing, uh, for a while, but not, not, not sure. And again, it's kind of sad that he never really blew up as, as big, but it's the Bruce Campbell curse, if you will. But yeah, beyond that, um, Oh, just, I love this movie. I love this movie to death. This is the movie if, you know, 19-year-old Chris followed through with his ambitions of being a filmmaker, this is the kind of movie I would have made. Just a bloody, frantic, just good time. Like, one one of my main goals is still to see this on a big screen. I've never, never seen it on a big screen. I've never seen anybody do a theatrical viewing of it. Like, no art house has ever pulled it up. I don't know if that's just because... No one's ever demanded it, or it might just be the rights might be like in a weird loop. I know Arrow.
0: I'm pretty might, sure we can get Beverly to, or not the Frida.
1: I've I've actually I think I've reached out to the Frida. I'm like, hey, why not doing this for one of your midnight movies? Because they pulled some some great classics out of their out of their you know out of the vault, but. Thus far, not this, because this is a perfect midnight movie. This is where you want to come in and watch after you've been out, you've had a good time, you've had a few libations, and you want to sit back and just enjoy a manic, bloody good time. Like, I can sing the praises. And, you know, I do agree with you to the fact that he is a little long. And um, that's part of the reason why I'm not a fan of the extended cut. It's just it adds stuff that kind of... To me, look, it's long, and at times, yes, you can feel... It it does have what I call the John Wick 4 syndrome, where the fights go on... Some of the fights go on a little longer than they should. Where John Wick 4, it just becomes masturbatory because it feels like every four minutes, there's a new 20-minute fight sequence. This at least will break it up a little bit. Um, And it kind of keeps things moving. Where... I don't know, lost my train of thought there. Holy shit. Um, but beyond that, yeah, I love this movie to death. It's easily top five. It's up there with Robocop. It's up there with Terminator. It's up there with the Royal Tenenbaums. I have a very weird top five, but this is definitely in that it, it's in that rotation. Um, I watched it stupid when I was in my late teens, early twenties. So, um, To the point, I've probably seen this movie like 15, 20 times because I would just put it on and just much like the raid became that movie for me where I would just watch the fight sequences and, you know, and study them. um, That's what I was doing with this, because there was a point I was going to try to make my own little indie film. And, you know, I was in over my head. And not only that, I just didn't have the money and I was kind of like winging it. But it it did take it. As much as Robert Rodriguez's book taught me about filmmaking, this movie taught taught me a lot about filmmaking in that you don't need a lot of money to make something wildly entertaining. Because I think he shot this on Super 8 or High 8. Might have been even 16. And, and because there's, there's a graininess to the movie. Like, I don't know which vert. Did you, you watch this online, Right. Right did you watch the Japanese or the or the the Japanese dialogue or the dub dialogue
0: uh, Japanese dialogue it was really uh, it was really grainy it was very uh, scratchy Yes, it's not the yeah, so it's not the arrow so version
1: so probably arrow yeah arrow re-released this movie on like a beautiful collector's edition um it's one of those things once I saw it I immediately hit the the pre-order button. But they did clean it up, and it by by Kittemur's own admittance, he's like, look, this this was like my first film. There's, you know, we shot it with natural lighting for the most part, and the it just, you know, it's it's that director's thing where it's like, if I if I could go back and fix it, so Arrow went back and cleaned it up. They took the a lot of the grain out, which I saw some people complain about. It didn't bother me too much, um, but it does add like. Green to me adds like certain it adds to the aesthetic and kind of gives it the, like it gives it that beautiful low budget vibe. But that's just me. That's that's something I love and I kind of want cinema to go back to that. Everything's too slick, too clean. I I need I don't know about you man, but I need I need imperfections in my movies sometimes. I agree. I Yeah, I don't need everything CG. I I need I, again models you know, caro syrup and red dye and some cool props. And as, as Robert Rodriguez said, don't use the money hose, you know, use, um, you know, be creative and shoot what you got and, you know, shoot what, you know, so, uh, yeah, crap. I've gone, we've gone on a long time with this, so I can keep going ad nauseum, but, I, our has got to get out of here. So let's wrap it up here. Um, are any last thoughts
0: Uh, great movie great when you watch Mm -hmm. final wars and if you don't like final wars I highly suggest you watch versus because a lot if you watch final wars as a Godzilla movie you're probably not going to like it but when you watch it as a Kitamura movie then you're then you get it yeah so I'm
1: a hardened defender of final wars I think I'm one of only like nine people within our age range that is. So that movie gave me everything that I wanted. So I, I love that movie. Um, I know other Die Hard, Godzilla fans are very, they poo poo it, but I, I love it to death. So, um, on that note, uh, do we want to tease what we're doing
0: next? Do we know what we're doing next? Uh, I have a list and I do not want to talk about it until it's time to talk about it because I'm super excited about it. And I want to keep all that, uh, bottled up <laughs>
1: okay all right well well uh you'll know when we get to the next episode so on that note let's let's wrap this up if you like what you hear you can find more of us online uh of course our our parent show is the kaiju kingdom podcast so you can find us uh there at the kaiju kingdom facebook.com slash the kaiju kingdom podcast twitter or x whatever the hell you want to call it at the Kaiju Kingdom, uh, along with Instagram, also at the Kaiju Kingdom. Um, and as always, you can check out that our main show as well. Uh, currently, we have a mini series going on. Uh, we are—I brought back uh, an old show from my Realmcast days called The Rundown, where uh, my good friend Lenny Romero and I are going through each episode of Gamma Rebirth and kind of doing our own little commentary along the way and discussing each episode as it goes along. It's one of those, if you can listen to us as you watch the show. So uh, check that out. Everything is all under the same feed. So uh, if you like what you hear, give us some feedback um, on any of those social media platforms. We'd love to, uh, you know, we've been getting a lot more lately. Love to hear it. And uh, yeah, so that will do it for this episode Common Kaisers. For myself
0: and Ariane. Thanks for listening, guys. Good night.